Good day, everyone. Welcome to Bubble Shots. Uh, my name is Martin Chung from City Bubble Forum team in Sydney. Uh, I'd like to send a special warm welcome to any Melbournians joining today. I uh, hope you're enjoying your newly found freedom with the easing of restrictions starting today. We're just glad that you chose to use that freedom to join us uh, this afternoon. Uh, one of my children's favorite YouTube channels is actually called Daily Dose of Internet. Uh, the YouTuber puts together random, funny, surprising clips about two a week, and it seems to do its job by giving my super bored children with a sense of fleeting pleasure. Now, well, with, with Bible Shots, we're trying to give you something that will last. We aim to give you a good dose of what the Bible has to say about life that will hopefully get you thinking for the rest of the week. Over the last few weeks, David Robertson has been guiding us through the Old Testament book known as Ecclesiastes. And today we'll continue the series with David on the topic of why do I feel there is something more. In case you haven't met David before, he's a Scottish pastor and a blogger of the WeFleet.com. Uh, he has moved to Australia last year to lead a City Bible Forum team called Third Space. After David's talk, uh, there will be a few minutes for some Q&A. So please uh, do send us your questions at any time using the Q&A function if you're joining us on Zoom webinar. Or if you're joining us through uh, Facebook, please send them through using the comments section. So I'll be now reading the passage from the book of Ecclesiastes uh, before I invite David to speak. Let me share the screen. It comes from chapter three. I'll be reading just the first eight verses. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace them and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Over to you, David. Okay, thanks, Martin. Um, good to be with you again. Uh, which, this is an amazing passage. Uh, we're going to look at a little bit of chapter two and also um, uh, part of may, maybe all of chapter three. We'll see the time as we go on. Um, this is a passage that was often read in funerals in in, in in Scotland, basically, you know, a time to mourn and so on. And it is a time to mourn. But I just want to go, give you a little bit of background to the book, because the book itself, for those of you who haven't been around, the book itself is saying, under the sun, life appears pretty meaningless. There was a professor of, Joe, uh, of English at Columbia University, who in the 1940s wrote this. Joseph Wood Crutch was his name. There is no reason to suppose that a man's life has any more meaning than the life of the humblest insect that crawls from one annihilation to another. That's a charming way uh, to think about your life. Or Wendell Berry says this, we knew and took for granted, listen to this, marriage without love, sex without joy, drink without conviviality, 
birth, celebration and death without adequate ceremony, faith without doubt or trial, belief without deeds, manners without generosity, such humanizing emotions as pleasure in small profitless things, joy, wonder, ecstasy were removed as by an operation on the brain. Now, the, the writer to Ecclesiastes, Solomon, has just been saying, look, what do we do? How do we, I investigate things. I'm trying to find things. There's nothing new under the sun. Uh, and he's, he's, he's been able to try a lot of different things. But he now comes onto this uh, chapter where he's talking about life under God. Now, chapter three, verses one to 15, is basically an explanation of chapter two when he's saying all we do is work and what's the point of all that so what he's saying here it's not it's not stoical he's not saying oh well, there's a time for this and a time for that and whatever will be will be he's saying look we can't control time we can't control the seasons no matter what our skills efforts or riches guess what apparently we can't even control a virus a tiny little virus but this here is not a council of despair. It's rather a council of uh, hope in some ways. He's not saying that God is like some kind of cosmic chess player moving pieces around on the board. But he's giving a summary, and I think it's a beautiful summary of life. So Martin was saying to you guys who are from Melbourne, well, you know, it's a time for you to get out now. Um, it's It's... I mean, that's, that's a wonderful thing. So let's just look at what's exactly being said here and how it applies to us. First of all, he's saying everything has a time. There are times and seasons, there are rhythms, and there's a rhythm to life. It's like there are biorhythms. You, you will have these. I will have these. Um, I like getting up early in the morning, and I mean early. Um, not as early as the birds in Sydney, not half past three in the morning, but I like getting up about four, half past four, five o'clock, which is pretty early. I'm a, far, a farm boy. But when I'm done here, don't come and visit me in the early afternoon. I once fell asleep talking to someone in the afternoon. Uh, just my biorhythms, the morning for me is a great time. Evening's a great time. In the afternoon, I'm pretty low. And it, uh, what the psalmist is saying is, he's, uh, well, not the psalmist, what Solomon is saying is that there's a rhythm to life. And he's saying there's a proper time. And, uh, you know, it's, it was in the ancient world that they talked about real wisdom being able to know the times. For those of you who are a little bit older and know the, the songs of one Mr. Robert Zim Zimmerman, come gather around people wherever you roam, admit that the waters around you have grown or you'd better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times they are changing. It is very important for us to understand the times that we are in. Now, what he does, he gives us 14 couplets here, and we are limited in time. There's a time to eat food. There's a time to work. And so I'm not going to keep you here. But uh, just these 14 couplets, what they do is they cover area, every area of human activity. There is a season, there is a purpose for everything. And everything is expressed in pairs. So he begins with the, the two most momentous events in our life, life and birth and death. Then he goes on to talk about three various creative and destructive activities, planting, uprooting, killing and healing, tearing down and building. 
He then talks about private and public. There's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. He talks about friendship and enmity, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. Well, what was that? The stones refer to your, your neighbor's field. I grew up on a farm and one of the jobs that I and my brothers had every year was to go out into the fields and to lift all the stones so that the tractors, the combine harvesters uh, and others would not uh, be damaged by them. Now, you think, well, once you've removed the stones, that's it, isn't it? Do you need to do it another year? Well, of course you do, uh, because the earth moves and the stones keep coming. And the picture here is of somebody clearing the stones off their land and they, they're throwing them into their neighbor's field, which isn't exactly a, a, a nice thing to do. Or he's saying it's a time to gather the stones and to build something with them. Verse five, it's a time to say hello and a time to say goodbye. Verse six, both of them, uh, there are two couplets here, both to do with possessions and our resolutions concerning them. So there's a time to keep and a time to throw away a time to tear and a time to mend. Now, I'm not very good at the, the, the throwing away. Uh, when we moved here to Sydney, I discovered that I had newspapers and magazines from about 15 years ago, at least, that I was going to read at some point, and therefore there was no point in me throwing them out. But I had so many of them. Of course, they're ridiculous. Um, there, there's a time to mend things. That may be a strange concept in today's society where things are made, so you go out and buy something new. But there does come a point where you have to throw them away. Verses seven and eight are also talking about the various destructive and creative activities of mankind. Now, all of this is just simply to say that there are many different times and that our times are in God's hand. It, there's a time for everything. So I think about it this way. You're, you're watching this and it may be that you are going through a hard time just now. You will come through that. It may be that you're going through a, a, a good time just now. Uh, we have a, a kind of saying in Scotland, we're a bit pessimistic. So the weather here in Sydney the past two days has been made me feel very much at home because very Scottish. It's cold and wet and rainy, and that's our summer. But when we get sunshine, we have, the, we have this saying, ah, well, the rain's coming. You know, we, we just, we know it's going to be over. Well, your time of suffering and pain will be over. There are times of joy, they will be over as well. But the point about all of this is, is that God is in charge of it. Now, that's why verses 9 to 15, which uh, Martin didn't read, I didn't ask him to, but I'm going to read them just now. It goes on to say this, what do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to, than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. It is a gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. Now, what's all that mean? Man, human beings, man and woman, we have a life that is joyful but not self-sufficient. 
when we try to live without God, we end up disrupting the seasons, not understanding the purposes and becoming vain and empty. Now, what he's particularly doing here is he's dealing with this issue of of the concept of time. And I, when you grow up, I mean, what do you think about time? You, you think oh, time's dead easy. That's no problem. Uh, time's, uh, you know, I, I know what time is. Well, really, you try and explain what time is. It's actually really difficult to define an eternity. Try and, try and imagine what I- I- eternity is. I remember uh, as a teenager trying to imagine not existing. It was just really, really hard to do. And the Bible tells us why that is. He has set eternity in the human heart. So you're watching this. You are a human being. Within you, you have a concept of eternity. That, by the way, is why people fear death. Because if it was just going to nothing, if it was just the end, what would there be to be afraid of? And people try and convince themselves that 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 is the case. But in reality, within ourselves, we know that that is not true. Now, these verses give two great arguments for the existence of God. One is the sense of beauty that we have. We are able to appreciate beauty. And the other is the sense of eternity. Where does all that come from? How do we, how do we think about these things? There is something inside us that makes us aware of the eternal. We have a capacity for eternal things. We are concerned about the future. We want to understand from the beginning to the end. And we have a sense of wonder, a sense of beauty, which transcends our immediate situation. And here is an argument that Paul uses in Romans that's very important. He says that human beings innately believe in God, that we don't need to be taught to believe in God, that it is part of our very nature. Paul says this, the wrath of God is being from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature, his power and beauty have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the Bible's making a very radical claim here. It's claiming that you know that there's a God, that within you, you know that. It's claiming that when you deny that, you're suppressing the truth. You are the equivalent spiritually of a flat earther. There are people who believe that the world is flat. It's not, um, but there are people who, who, who convince themselves that that is the case. Now, it's the same with saying, well, there's no God. I believe that there is no God. What you're doing is you're suppressing the the God awareness that God has placed within your heart, the sense of the eternal, the sense of the transcendent, the sense of, of, of the beautiful and the holy and the good. Now, this passage says there's a negative side to all of that. It's a burden. We have this sense of eternity. We have this sense of beauty. But it says we can't work out what God has done from beginning to end. Walter Kaiser, a commentator, says this, that there is within us a deep-seated desire, a compulsive drive to know the character, 
the composition and meaning of the world and to discern its purpose and destiny. And there is nothing under the sun that can ultimately satisfy it. We seek satisfaction. That's what uh, Ecclesiastes 1 and 2 is being saying. Solomon says, I sought satisfaction in gardening, in sex, in music, in, in alcohol, in food, in work, and none of it ultimately satisfied. He's, Kaiser goes on to say this, we have a desire to progress. We long for beauty. We long to improve. We long to make things better. But the progress, and people want to say we're a progressive society, by the way, Kaiser goes on, but the progress that has brought us CDs or iPhones and penicillin has also brought us nuclear weapons and global warming and biological weapons. In many ways, with labor-saving devices and the increase in leisure and pleasure time, we should be freer to enjoy life. But we are frustrated and disappointed that freedom and comfort have not brought meaning and peace to our lives. The most technologically advanced countries are also the ones marked most by family breakdown, drug addiction, abortion, violent crime, homelessness, and suicide. A few decades ago, Malcolm Muggeridge pointed this out and then said this, the result is almost invariably the exact opposites of what's intended. Thus, expanding public education has served to increase illiteracy. Half a century of pacifist agitation has resulted in the two most ferocious and destructive wars in history. Political egalitarianism has made for a heightened class consciousness, and sexual freedom has led to erotomania on a scale hitherto undreamed of. And I would also say this, that the, the attempt to get rid of racial divisions, say through a group like Black Lives Matter, has ended up with people being more racially pol polarized than for many decades. So... There's this sense of the eternal. There's this sense of the beautiful. There's this striving after something. But we, we can't get there. We just can't make it. So what's the solution? And here is where the, the genius comes in. No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. The solution is to bring God into the equation. The word for beauty in verse 11 in Hebrew is yape, Y-A-P-E-H. That is very close to the word Yahweh for God. And what Solomon is doing, he's saying, we have this sense of beauty. That sense of beauty is ultimately derived from God. That sense of beauty is what C.S. Lewis calls drippings of grace. So for me, um, I, I would use the phrase rumors of transcendence. If I listen to Beethoven's pastoral, symphony the sixth for example or there was a place near my home in scotland glendall which is extraordinarily beautiful or i i love uh, walking around the artarman reserve here and i just sit or, or or going down to um to the lane cove reserve as well or going to cremorne or just there's so many beautiful areas in in sydney holding a, a child in your arms that's a sense of beauty now without god we can forget and misuse all the gifts. God has given us a capacity for pleasure. He's given us taste buds, sexual drive, and the capacity to appreciate beauty. But without him, that leads to overindulgence and destruction. We turn nudity into pornography, wine into alcoholism, food into gluttony, and human diversity into racism and prejudice. Instead of being good gifts, 
they become destructive to us. Our life becomes a waste, either frittered away or burnt out in overactivity. I don't know how many funerals I've taken of people who you just look at their life and you think, what a waste, what a waste. So verse 12 to 15, I know there's nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live. What's he saying? He's saying the secret of happiness is enjoying life to pursue and enjoy a happy life. You may be surprised the Bible's saying that. Eat and drink are tokens of a contented and a happy life. Even work can be satisfied. Secularism can be replaced by theism, pessimism by optimism, and human autonomy, which is, I can do it myself, to human faith. I rely on God. Carpe Deum, the, the, the Latin motto, seize the day, is what the, the, the writer is saying. It's what Solomon is saying. You've got to seize the day. This longing that you have, you've got to reach out for God. Uh, verses 14 and 15 talking about satisfaction it's not despair it's saying that while the earth is transitory unreliable and futile security can be found in god's sovereignty and grace he's saying that god's action is permanent it's effective it's complete and it's totally secure from the christian perspective he's saying that nothing can separate us from the love of god that is in christ and so we fear him not a craven fear but a reverence, a respect, and a regard for God. And that is where our sense of the beauty of the eternal and our sense of beauty is satisfied, because ultimately that sense is a sense of and for God. That's why the psalmist says, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. One more thing, just verse 15, let me finish with this. Whatever is, has already been, and what will be, has been before, and God will call the past to account. Solomon is speaking long before Disney, of the circle of life. He said, it's God who keeps the cycles of history going. Things are are going on a predetermined course, but it's not the Marxist view of history, Marxist fatalism, nor is it human greed, nor is it the stars or some mysterious force, but it's God who holds our times in his hands. So to come back to where we came in with Joseph Crutch saying, you're an insignificant insect. No, you're not. You're not an insignificant insect crawling from one sad annihilation to another. If you trust Jesus Christ, you are a child of God being prepared for an eternal home. The Puritan pastor Thomas Watson said this, eternity to the godly is a day that has no sunset. Eternity to the wicked is a night that has no sunrise. You're going to one or the other. That's why God has given you that sense of the eternal. Which one? You choose. All right, we will leave it there. If there are any comments or questions, Martin, feel free. Um, if not, we will say sure. goodbye. So I guess um, in a moment, um, I guess we will have a few minutes to ask David some questions. F- feel free to sort of, um, you know, gather your thoughts and jot them down. And uh, while you're gathering your thoughts, um, I'll just... Uh, Give you a simple reminder that if you want to keep exploring uh, what David has shared, uh, you're more than welcome to drop us a line, send us an email, leave comments or thoughts on our webpage, citybubbleforum.org or our Facebook. So we'd love to hear from you and keep the conversations going about uh, bigger questions of life. 
So um, as I wait for uh, questions to come through, if there are any, um, I have a question of my own, David. Okay. Um, so line 11, verse 11 um, is fascinating verse. Um, um, as you sort of read, God has set eternity into the human heart, yet we can't seem to fully understand it. As we know, like from what's been happening and what we've been hearing um, with people's mental health, we know that uh, many people are finding this pandemic and the lockdown as a reason for despair, uh, mm-hmm. while some others are finding um, as a time to still hope. Mm-hmm. Um, that why would anyone choose hope over despair? And what are some of the things that we can help for people who may be struggling with a sense of despair? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not convinced that people choose hope and despair. And I, I'll tell you why. I, I don't think anyone who's despairing really wants to, you know, I, I think it's because of what they see. So they're despairing because of what they see. Um, you know, if I have cancer, I'm despairing because I have cancer. If I look around the world at me at the moment, there may be many things I'd despair about. If it's just been made unemployed, I would despair. Um, if my relationship at home is not going well, you know, me and my wife are about to divorce or something, I'm going to despair because of what I see. And what the the Bible does, what Ecclesiastes does especially, is to say, it doesn't go and say, oh, don't worry about a thing. Every little thing is going to be all right. You know, it doesn't do a Bob Marley thing. It just says, it doesn't say, uh, you know, every cloud is a silver lining. It says your despair is real. These things are real. Let's not run away from that. But it's saying these things are under the sun. You need to look, a, you need a broader picture. You need a bigger picture. And that's why I think, I think it was Jean-Paul Sartre, who's, you know, existentialist philosophy, basically someone said, well, you would commit suicide. Yes, he said, if I lived by it, I would, because that's mm-hmm. the only solution. Um, I'm reading Albert Camus at the moment on uh, and and his, he's talking about why he doesn't commit suicide despite his philosophy. And, and, and I think that, one of the reasons that suicide is so prevalent in, in our culture is because people don't see a reason for living. And what we're saying is it's not so much choose to believe that things will get better, but you need to choose to believe in Christ because he ultimately becomes the hope. Mm-hmm. And that, that my, my position would be, ultimately, I don't see any hope. Ultimately, I don't see any hope apart from that. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I always say to people, tell me what your hope is. Tell me what it is. And Usually, whatever they say, I'm, I'm pretty well able to destroy, which I don't like doing. You know, I don't want to make people feel miserable. But mm. most people's hope can be taken from. But uh, I would say my hope in Christ can can never be taken from me. David, let me flip the um, question. Let me flip the coin and ask you another question. Then um, from the other side, um, mm. so there are obviously with what Solomon's been through, um, he understands that you know, whatever, you know, it may be that, that there was nothing on the earth that could satisfy him. And yet I've come across people, uh, many people actually, who, who says, um, I'll just, you know, um, enjoy what I have, uh, that, that sort of this worldview that I'll just uh, be a pleasure seeker. Um, I have a, have a, have this hedonistic worldview that I'll enjoy, enjoy everything that I've got to enjoy. And I know you're saying about eternity, but I can't be bothered. I'm just going to, you know, enjoy my life to max and, and let, let things be. 
Now, how could we help uh, people who are in that sort of um, worldview to to draw one step closer to um, thinking about the significance of eternity that we're talking about? Well, th- this book, I mean, that's a great question because this book d- does precisely that. In fact, this book goes so close because it seems to be saying, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you're going to die. And the best thing you can do is just enjoy life while you've got it. Uh, th- that's what a lot of Ecclesiastes seems to be saying. And if you read it carelessly, that's how you'd pick it up. But he really is saying, look, it's great that you can have food. It's great that you can enjoy a glass of wine. It's great that you can listen to good music. It, you know, it's grace. It's great that, you know, you, you can have relationships with people and, and a whole bunch of other stuff. He's gone, great, you have a job. It's great that you can work and so on. But he's saying, look, all this is like drinking salt water you're not going to be satisfied with it. And the answer I would give to some, if you were thinking like that, what I would suggest is this. Imagine I come or you come to my house and I'm, I'm sitting in my apartment and I, I'm enjoying watching a movie and, you know, eating a pizza and you come and you knock on my door and you say to me, uh, excuse me, Dave, are you aware that your house is burning down? the alarm has gone off there's a fire engine outside and listen mate you better get out pretty quick and i'm saying i don't know if that's true i can't be bothered you know i'm i'm just enjoying my pizza let me finish the end of the film you know um how stupid would i be and i would argue that when someone says oh who cares i can't be bothered they really are in that category because if you are made for another world if you are more than just an insect, if you are more than just atoms, then it's a really good idea to get that one worked out. And, and, you know, it just doesn't make sense logically. And it doesn't make sense, nor emotionally does it make sense. I mean, except, you know, you kind of want to bury your head in the sand, but that's a really, really bad idea. You know, you, 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 um, it's like somebody with this COVID thing just now, supposing you were, I mean, we're very, very blessed in Australia. I mean, even in Victoria, we're blessed um, compared with, say, my, my home country just now. Uh, I, I mean, somebody walking around going, I don't care two hoots about COVID. It doesn't matter. You know, my, my parents are in their 80s. If they got COVID, they, would, they, they probably would not have much chance of surviving. Um, mm. it, it, you know, you, you can't just bury your head in the sand and say it doesn't exist. And I mm. think with this, burying your head in the sand doesn't really help. You know, it, 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 it's, it's not a helpful or logical or rational or intelligent thing to do. You've got to find out. Yep. Thanks, David. I think that's all the time we have for today. Uh, but um, we do have one more Bible Shops with David from the Book of Ecclesiastes next Wednesday. So we do look forward to seeing you there uh, next Wednesday, 1 p.m. sharp. And, Indeed. Uh, we'll do- All right. Uh, We thank you for joining us and um, we'll, we'll see you again. Bye for now.